0: Hello and welcome to God in Film, the podcast where a Christian and an atheist dive into the best that cinema has to offer and see if we can find any parallels with the Gospel or any other Bible stories. I'm media coordinator and benevolent Duke of House Gough, Giles Goff.
1: What is up, everybody? I'm librarian and Bene Gesserit witch your mother warned you about, Julia Hall.
0: And welcome to the first episode of Season 6 of God in Film. Six seasons? Six seasons. Six. And today we're looking at Duke. The 2021 sci-fi epic directed by Denis Villeneuve, adapted from the first half of Frank Herbert's seminal 1965 novel of the same name. Today we're going to be doing something a little bit different. Think of this as like a little cultural exchange trip. We're going to look at some of the influences that Islam has had on this particular novel. We're also going to look at what a military messiah looks like and how you go about manufacturing one julia have you how familiar are you with june
2: so
1: i watched the film in imax actually when it came out i was very excited to see it i did attempt to start reading the book and i don't know if anybody else has this where i pick up about four books at once and then some of them get left behind while i read (laughs) the other two or three and june unfortunately was one of those that got left behind a little bit but i do want to go back and read the full thing um, because I did like it it's very different to a lot of other books that I've read especially with the thought process that you get where uh, uh, you get the innermost thoughts of everybody pretty much all the time um, which is not a writing style that I've really seen before or since so yeah yeah no I loved it.
0: I think I'd picked it up a few times. Saw all these words like Bene Gesserit and "gongjabar" and Hadrak and I was like, oh, "I don't, I, I, I do not I'm have tired, the boss. the energy." I think some genres work well in certain mediums, you know. So I think we could call this pretty hard, hard sci-fi. Sci-fi mm-hmm. with like fantasy inflection, and it's easier if you can just see what things look like rather than have to try and picture yeah. them in your head. So for me, I think this Dune worked really well in a visual medium. And the thing I was really impressed with about the film, well, about Villeneuve's film in particular, is the way it's a really dense story and there's a lot in it. But at no point was I confused. I was mm. able to follow everything that was going along. He just... He puts the all the other information that you might think you might need to the side and just gets really interesting ways of getting it across
1: yeah for me it's almost i would describe it like shakespeare in space you have these very like (laughs) sprawling political intrigue kind of plots that doesn't feel bogged down or heavy in a way that sort of sometimes you get with other other pieces of media
0: do you know what that's really interesting it's like henry the fourth and henry the fifth in space i Mm. love it that's a really good way of looking at it Now it's time for Julia's Facts.
1: I love doing these. These are so fun because I just spend hours going down a little rabbit hole. So as we more or less know, June Part 1 was released on the 21st of October 2021. And Mm -hmm. it was always intended to be a Part 1. But we didn't get to know that until the credits. It was hidden a little bit that this was intended to be the first of a duo and luckily right, okay. the film did well enough that the sequel was then greenlit for them to do yeah. so everybody because they went didn't to... do
0: like a lord of the rings where they shot everything back to back did they no it was we're gonna do June part one if flipping heck, i really hope it does well yeah
1: so, <laughs> so if you went to go see it in the cinema congratulations you made part two possible <laughs> it would have been quite <laughs> awkward i think if it had flopped and then it was like oh i guess i guess you don't get a, a second part that would have been pretty sad yeah, for um,
0: for all of us who all of us firefly fans we're, we're used to that feeling
1: yeah i've i've not subjected myself to the firefly hurt yet because i know it's yeah. it's gonna hurt and i have to be yeah ready for that That's smart um, that's very smart but when i went to see this film in imax because i assumed that it would be visually stunning and it is visually stunning but what yeah. really hit me that it is musically stunning. The soundtrack and the sound choices and the mixing, incredible. I'm
0: trying to remember who's the composer Han Hans
1: Zimmer. I love Hans Zimmer. He turned down Tenet to do this, I believe. He definitely turned down a Nolan film to do this because he also Mm. loves Dune. But he spent a week in the desert in Utah before writing the score to get a feel for the desert sound. So he really went method all out to get the perfect vibe for this and it I feel it absolutely shows in the soundtrack for this film. And the score itself was actually recorded during the COVID-19 pandemic in lockdown. So Zimmer made his living room into a studio, which (laughs) he recorded everything in, which also happened to be right next to his daughter's bedroom. And he said about this quote, she will tell everybody that she suffers from bagpipe PTSD because it's 5.30 <laughs> in the morning and I'm still blasting away and the whole house is shaking. It's so worth it though because the bagpipe stuff, when they land on Arrakis, is just... Oh, yeah. goosebumps. I love, bag, it, love that's, it.
0: That's what you need, just more bagpipes in films.
1: Yeah, where are the bagpipes, man? More, more... <laughs> okay, composers out there. More bagpipes, please, because with the right hands, bagpipes can be absolutely stunning. Similarly in this theme, so the the lead vocalist on the soundtrack, the woman behind those like really amazing kind of vocal stings that you get. That kind of
0: ululating sort of... Yeah,
1: oh, gorgeous. Um, That's Lisa Gerrard. And she recorded her vocals inside her wardrobe in her Brooklyn apartment, which is incredible, really. But you might have heard Lisa already because she did the iconic vocals in Now We Are Free from Gladiator. Which oh, okay. is
0: also similar. Hang on, are we talking like a walk-in wardrobe? Do you think, or do you I... think literally just kind of bungle in there and just? I do for kind of...
1: me, I feel like it would be hilarious if it is literally just like a cupboard wardrobe. But I have heard that some voice actors starting out do use wardrobes because the yeah. the clothing provides that really nice way to soak yeah, up sound. It,
0: it's a really it's a nice cheap and easy soundproofing. So like on the door to my office here. We've got, like, a coat rack on the other side, so just all the kind of hoodies and everything, it just helps to sort of muffle some of the sound so there you go, folks. when i'm recording a voiceover i'll get my microphone and my script and everything and then stick a duvet over my head yeah. <laughs> that does the job really
1: so if you've got a wardrobe folks you're halfway there you've already got yeah. all the things that you need to do some awesome recording stuff definitely um, um but i found a really fun this one comes from IMDb. mdb um so the character of stilgar who is one of the fremen has always been played by a bond villain in every adaptation that we've had of dune so obviously okay. we have javier bardem who Stilgar in the dune that we're talking about he was silver in skyfall excellent film yeah so stephen burkoff who played him in children of dune was all of in octopussy and then we've had everett mcgill in the original dune the 1984 fever dream dune who was a killer <laughs> for a license to kill and then the last thing i've got is a fun little anecdote that i found while looking at a new york times article and they were discussing, which I think we might get into later, the almost a contrast that this film has to a lot of the superhero films that we're used to seeing. Mm. As I think, as we'll touch on a bit later, Paul isn't really a hero, perhaps, that he maybe thinks that he is or
2: yeah. that
1: he's led to believe he should be. And the interviewer sort of wondered if, if Chalamet would, would do superhero films. And he recalls a piece of advice mm. given to him by Leonardo DiCaprio, no less. Which is no superhero movies, no hard drugs. So, <laughs> Chalamet says he's stuck to both, but admits he would like to do a Dark Knight film with the right script and the right director, so who knows? Maybe f- a few years down <laughs> no the line... superhero we'll have- films and no hard drugs! Leonardo DiCaprio aside, that's pretty solid advice, I think.
0: 50% of it is really solid advice. Mm, yeah. I don't know what to tell you. If Kevin Feige rolls up in his in his MCU mobile and says, "Do you want to be an X Men?" then you'd just be like, "Yes, okay." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> do you want to discuss this? The I don't know. Just put me in the damn thing.
1: Hey kid, you want to roll an X Men? Yeah, sure, I do. <laughs> Look, guys, if a stranger rolls up in a white van and asks, "Do you want to be the next Marvel superhero?" Run, stranger danger, kids. <laughs>
0: I'm pretty sure that's that's how Dakota Johnson got cast as Madame Webb. Oh, the cool. MCU might be doing it quite nice, but like Sony, don't play by nobody's rules, not even their oh, own. No. Fantastic. Thank you so much for those, Julia. They really made me smile. Hey guys, it's Edison Giles here. Just popping in to say that you should definitely check out our Patreon page. If you head over to www.patreon.com forward slash the God in Film Podcast, you'll find loads of bonus content, such as extended interviews, extra little bits that didn't quite make it into the show, as well as exclusive content like our God in Gaming episode. Plus, if you sign up to our Bishop Waller Bridge tier, you'll get to hear episodes in advance, like our Eyes of Tammy Fay episode right now. So why not give it a try? And if that's not doable, Did you know that you can help the podcast out for free by writing us a review, giving us a shout out on social media, or just telling a friend about us? Go on, you know you want to. And now, back to the show. Now, when it came to finding our next guest, I asked for help from our friend Shahina Udine, who is a wonderful person and an accomplished journalist, who searched through the wilds of Twitter and found us the juniest June Spurt she could possibly find. I'll let him introduce himself.
2: Yeah, so my name's Ryan Gore. I'm a freelance film writer. You can mostly see me writing for animation publications like Squiggly or Cartoon Brew, but every now and again I contribute to a a general film publication like Empire, IGN, uh, Rolling Stone. You can see me all over the place, really.
0: Fantastic. I love how you're just like, yeah, I write for Empire, Rolling Stone, no big (laughs) deal, whatever. (laughs) it's not a big thing
2: i mean if i make it a big thing it's not good for my ego
0: (laughs) i'll make it a big thing it's fine we've got flipping ryan garr of (laughs) rolling stone and empire magazine on the podcast today ladies and gentlemen (laughs) air horns going off in the background ryan thank you so much for joining us on the show today i really appreciate it
2: oh it's my pleasure
0: so for people who've never heard of dune how would you
2: sum it up Yeah, one of the most difficult things that a person has ever been tasked to do is sum up Dune. (laughs) So Dune is, in the most broadest sense, a sci-fi epic, right? So if you're Mm -hmm. unfamiliar with even the genre, that's the the realm that we're in. Sci-fi epic with a lot of fantasy elements, so we're not talking Mm -hmm. sci-fi like 2001 Space Odyssey, but this is essentially known as a, a precursor to Star Wars, something that influenced George Lucas really heavily. Um,
0: is it because it's, it's sci-fi setting, but it still feels more like fantasy kind of things that we're, we're dealing with?
2: Sci-fi in the sense that it's set in space, fantasy in the mm. sense that there's like wizardry <laughs> and like yeah. magical stuff happening. Uh, I'm more kind space of space wizards again. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. In terms of its story. It's essentially the story of a colonized desert planet called Arrakis, which is the only place in the known universe where you can get a substance called spice, which is a valuable component to space travel. So naturally, a lot of different planets move in on the planet to get spice. But to the people of Arrakis, known as the Fremen, that's like a spiritual substance that's like core to their religion. All right. So Dune picks up when the occupancy of Arrakis is changing from the more harsh and evil Harkonnens, who are from a very dreary kind of planet, to the more sympathetic Atreides, who are from a planet called Caladan, which is essentially a paradise.
0: Despite all the different names, they're all still human, aren't they?
2: Yes. A Dune is set, I think, 10,000 years in the future-ish, like something like that. That kind of ballpark. Yeah, so by this point... Earth is a long distant memory, but it is the human race evolving from this point on or the 60s on, essentially. So the Atreides is where we find our main character, Paul, notable for the podcast that you have a lot of crazy names in this and the main character is a biblical name, Paul. Similar and to... it's the
0: most boring biblical name <laughs> you could possibly think of. Like, when yeah. you think of biblical names, Nebuchadnezzar is is part <laughs> of the list of options that we could go for. But it's so strange. You get all these bizarre names like Stilgar and mm-hmm. Kynes and Harkonnens. And then there's Paul. Paul. It's like, oh, there's Keith over there. So and it's small.
2: Star Wars as well. The main character is Luke. And that's a, yeah. very much a, yeah, 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 another yeah. point yeah, where, where Lucas is inspired by Dune who's having... Sci-fi names with just a guy in the middle of it. Yeah, um,
0: just some regular dude. Yeah. yeah.
2: So so when the Atreides arrive in Arrakis, the Fremen recognise Paul as a messiah mm-hmm. figure from their scripture. And yeah. from there, there's political manoeuvring from the other houses who want to control Arrakis because the famous quote is, he who controls the spice controls the universe. Yeah, because Herbert makes it so that this spice does flip in everything,
0: doesn't it? Oh, yeah. On the one hand, you'd look at it as like a a metaphor for oil, Mm -hmm. because it it powers space travel, but also there's spice beer and spice liquor Mm -hmm. and spice cakes, and it just seems to be everywhere you look. It has these incredibly broad applications.
2: Yeah, exactly right. It's also seen as like a dangerous substance. It's very addictive. Um, So when it comes to those spice beers and spice beverages, (laughs) all of it is very much consumed by the fremen because they're used to growing up in an environment where spice is just part of their ecosystem. People on other planets wouldn't really have spice in everything they eat and consume. Yeah. Because it's more of a specialist thing over there.
0: The fremen have just basically worked with what they've got effectively. Yeah,
2: basically it's just part of their diet. And then while that political movement is happening for the planet, the fremen are trying to win their own freedom. So already like, the main themes are coming out of it is colonization and also ecology because Arrakis is a desert planet that is not suitable for most human life. So there's also a thread about how to change a planet essentially to be Mm. hospitable, how to take care of one. But also for the religious side of it um, that there's a lot of things about how religion can be implanted in communities as a method of control and how religion can be weaponized. Um, by by people trying to take resources from that region.
0: Yeah, it's really critical a religion, I think, in a lot of ways. Mm. What were
2: some of the influences on Herbert when he wrote the book? So the most evident influence for me was the relationship that the US has with the Middle East. So that's where a lot of the Islamic influence comes from in the book. You see a lot of names and places and people that have very Islamic kind of Arabic kind of names. That's Mm. because Frank Herbert was really sympathetic towards... What happened in the Middle East and what is still happening in the Middle East in terms of yeah. how Western forces have colonized it for oil, essentially? And you talk about it as like a something as critical of religion. I think Herbert wanted to invert the Messiah story or the Savior mm-hmm. story. A lot of people see you doing as this white Savior story when it's the complete opposite. Yeah. So Paul is seen as a Messiah by the frame and because their religion has been manifested or altered by people looking to control them. So they have been yeah. told, you are going to see a messiah figure one day who is going to have these traits by other people looking to control them. So when they arrive, they see these in, in, in Paul. My favorite quote from the book is, no more terrible disaster could befall your people than for them to fall into the hands of a hero. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's an amazing line. Like The idea being that a hero figure is completely overwhelming. If your struggle Mm -hmm. for freedom rests on one person and they fail, or their judgment is flawed, or they're just human, you're likely to stray from that path and be at the mercy of their whims. Yeah. And that's something that's really expanded upon in the sequel book, because Herbert was really frustrated with the um, reception some people had to Dune, because they didn't real a lot of people didn't see Paul. They saw him as a hero and herbert did not want paul to look like a hero right and messiah the the next book goes is a bit more heavy-handed in that sense but i love it i think it's his masterpiece (laughs) i i I love it more than the first book i think it's brilliant but the point being that the Fremen don't necessarily need paul they're far more advanced than they're given credit for so true that as an analog to the way that the us would intervene on the place saying they need to be taught democracy right, or they need to yeah. be civilised, right, going for the old colonial yeah. language. They're fine on their own, it's just a narrative being built that they need this white saviour, essentially. Yeah.
0: So, picking up on that colonial aspect that you were talking about, what are some of the, um, I think there was some alleged controversies over the casting mm. um, with Villeneuve's film. I, I don't know about the, the 1980s version, but there were some real controversies about this one. Can you expand on those for us?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So, Dune, as I said, is full of Arabic and Middle Eastern influence, but a lot of the major framing characters are played by non-Middle Eastern or South Asian people in the movie, and as far as I can remember, that is the same for the 80s version, but I've been well warned to steer clear of the (laughs) 80s version
0: so basically i think i've seen it it's not great (laughs) the book relies so much on like the thought processes of the characters doesn't Mm -hmm. it and there's so much exposition that comes out in that Mm -hmm. and how do you do that kind of thought processes in film you do it in voiceover so there is a lot of voiceover in 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 this the lynch version of dune they just completely not completely but they predominantly discard it in villeneuve's version
2: absolutely it's called head hopping in the book so you jump between people's okay. different perspectives as you go along uh, i and love it,
0: that head hopping do you know because i'm also an english teacher so right. i'm going to use that phrase because <laughs> that is brilliant head hopping. <laughs> love it yeah and
2: that's really difficult to communicate through a visual medium as it's a lot mm. of the craziest stuff in dune because if you talk about influences this is written in the 60s so psychedelia yeah. has a huge influence on it and mm. spice is a very psychedelic drug as well even in the story talking about some of the casting choices you have zendaya and javier bardem playing major framing roles and mm-hmm. if they're supposed to be analogs for middle eastern people being colonized that doesn't exactly line up right because javier bardem is um spanish and spanish. Um, zendaya being african african-american mm-hmm. um and it feels like them saying as long as you have a person of color it's fine right and i think yeah. get there Um, without paying much mind to the cultural specificity. It's also very jarring just seeing, in terms of like a costume design standpoint, where they do take a lot of influence from um, Middle Eastern culture and seeing Mm. these guys wearing clothes influenced by Pakistani culture and Middle Eastern clothing. It's jarring. And as well as having names that are also influenced by that culture. Like Christopher Walken's character in, in in the upcoming movie, his name is Shaddam, which is like just feels weird right it feels like a bit of a parody to have this white guy it feels feels weird (laughs) to
0: you it doesn't mean anything to me can you unpack that for us
2: oh it's just a very middle eastern name to me like there's a lot of names like that throughout the book chris falcon's the emperor Emperor. yeah the emperor of the known universe
0: so it's like it would be like having a name like muhammad
2: yeah essentially but i will say that the on on the other side there is great casting in terms of the I think. Timothy Chalamet is is Paul Atreides, you know. You might not mm-hmm. think of him as the action hero, but that's the point. Paul is a fifteen year old kid in the book. Like, he is a child. He's a scrawny little child who has the fate of the universe resting on his shoulders. Same for the Harkonnens, the villains. They're just incredibly cast. Like scars Skarsgård is amazing as yeah. Baron Harkonnen, and uh, Dave Bautista, uh, the Beast. What's his name? Raban. Yeah. And it looks like Austin Butler looked as good, great as a great Fader Alpha, who was played by Sting in the original Yes, David, uh, yeah, David yeah. Lynch version. Sting in his pants. Yes, yeah, 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 in the metal underwear. So, yeah, th- there's good and bad, but I think the bad reputation that the film's got in terms of casting comes from just the lack of Middle Eastern people and Pakistani people on screen, which is a big shame. It, it is a big shame because it does everything else so right, I feel. I feel like Denny understands Dune on such a a visceral level. This is a book he read as a teenager and just fell in love with. But yeah, i say that's the one major flaw with the adaptation, which is almost otherwise perfect. So
0: are you able to reconcile that in your head, or do you just put a pin in that and say, okay, that's not great, but I love the rest
2: of it? Yeah, you have to. That's the way you deal with art, though, isn't it? Like, you take it as a whole. Everyone loves a piece of art that's flawed in some way. Or made by a flawed person it mm-hmm. just is the way of it i think it's counterproductive to speak about the film and not bring that up yeah but not have it overshadow the craft because there's craft yeah on display and that should be recognized too oh, 100%. but i think we live in a culture where it's one thing or the other right yeah but it, it all deserves to be acknowledged at once as much as there's definitely. space for that
0: definitely Listen, Ryan, thank you so much for coming and talking to us today. I really wanted somebody who loved June and was happy to talk about it in such a sort of balanced way. You've done a brilliant job. Thank you so much.
2: Thanks for having me. This is great. Thank you. So, Julia,
0: that was Ryan. What did you think?
1: To not downplay Empire, Rolling Stone.
0: Yeah. Th- legendary. Uh,
1: right. And I'm so glad that somebody else has pointed this out because for me, it is weird that you have this sprawling science fiction universe and and all this and the main guy's called paul and his (laughs) mum's called jessica i just find that hilarious So I'm glad somebody else pointed that
0: out. Yeah, I didn't make the connection that with Star Wars about like yeah, the, about the Luke point. and so thing. Two two kind of biblical names, like New Testament biblical names, sort of stuck right in there amongst like Gurney Halleck and Stilgar Duncan and Idaho. Man's named
1: Duncan after a Idaho. state. <laughs>
0: Duncan Idaho? No, Utah. You, you, you know, it was nice to see Jason Momoa playing just a person rather yes. than like a superhero or a god or, or whatever. Or a kind of big and gruff
1: man doing gruff man yeah. things. It's he's nice to He's still big see gruff
0: and manly but he's, mm. he's just allowed to be a little bit human yeah. and I love that, you know. I loved Ryan's interview. I think the thing I, I liked, one of the things I liked most about him saying was pointing out the controversy about the casting mm. and I can totally see it. If you imagine that there's some, in sci-fi there's some characters that are coded as british and you didn't have any white people playing them i could you'd be i can appreciate that you'd be a bit like what's that about but i also like the way he keeps those things in tension that there there is that erasure that's not okay but he doesn't let that overtake the entire experience do you know what i mean yeah The what did ryan say he said something like there's clearly." tremendous amount of skill that's gone into making this and that you always get that sense with Villeneuve there's a sensory feel to it you Mm. feel it's a lived in world do you know what I mean
1: absolutely yeah I think the adaptation itself the scene where Paul is doing he's listening to that kind of hologram talk about the Arrakis and the hunter seeker comes through the wall I have read that bit in the book and I remember distinctly when I read the book because I'd watched the film first I was reading that scene in the book and going Oh my God, I have seen this. Like, I've seen yeah. exactly this. The way that he describes the way the light falls and the way that the light kind of plays across the scene. I'm like, I've seen this. I've seen this to a T. Um, so I don't think you can deny the skill and the attention to detail that's gone into it, but just not the attention to detail in a way of casting. Yeah. Casting the right people for roles which are clearly coded for middle east and south asian people
0: i can see why you might want to downplay some of the islam stuff obviously there's the the word jihad get you gets used quite a lot and if you imagine the kind of fox news type of people if they get that between their teeth then all of a sudden coming to see this film or not coming to see it becomes like a culture war sort of statement it's nice that it gets almost a bit snuck in there
1: Which is a shame because jihad isn't necessarily a dirty word, at least from my very basic understanding of Islam. Mm. And yeah, it is a shame that there's potentially a kind of a need to uh, appease, I guess, the sort of the the public thought rather than saying, this is the film that I want to make and this is true to the the subject material. Um, It is a shame, but I think we see companies do that all the time. Disney I think especially is notorious for tweaking things and cutting things out depending on where the film is going to wear which they is used a shame. to
0: be they do that less so now that's happened a lot less in fact there's been more controversy when it's like Saudi Arabia or somewhere like that has said can you just cut this character out and Disney have gone no so it's they're getting better on that on that front now it's time for <gasps> finding the faith in the film Ba-ba! now as you might have guessed in this episode we're doing something a little different with the exception of one or two passing references in the book there's really not that much about Christianity in June but it caught my attention that Islam had some part in inspiring the story so I want us to view this as like a little educational trip into a different religion so everybody find a buddy don't <laughs> touch anything no sniggering at the back of the bus natalie Mineker and louise jane smith i can see you and please remember to wipe your feet before entering somebody else's religion okay everyone clear
1: i feel like i've been taken back to like teacher giles
0: teacher tiles yeah yeah you know they they talk about the voice in in this like the teacher voice is basically just the same
2: yeah it's the
1: teacher voice and the customer service voice as well um (laughs) look i want to stress me at work she's not me i don't know Mm -hmm. who she is she isn't me
0: (laughs) yeah definitely it's your own time
1: you're wasting
0: (laughs) So, it's important to state right from the outset that I am not, nor do I pretend to be an expert on Islam. And I'm not even a Dune expert either. I've seen the film, listened to the audiobook, and that's about it. But when I heard that Islam was an influence in the story, I was absolutely fascinated about what that could mean. So, I looked into it further and I started to realise that June isn't so much inspired by the Quran or anything in it in particular... But it takes some inspiration from like Islamic culture and Muslim societies throughout history. So you can see that the text is littered with Arabic words such as muadib, which means teacher of boys. Lizan al ghaib, which is teller of things yet to come. And perhaps most notably Jihad like we were talking about. So the word Jihad comes from Arabic and translates to struggle. So. While there are a few verses in the Quran that mention the jihad in the context of self-defense, jihad typically refers to, like, a personal battle between one and their impulses. Mm. And it's... That's what sort of took me... I spent so much time, like, going... I heard something about Islam and June, and I was like, ooh, is there something about Muhammad in here? Is there something about... And I could find nothing about that. But what I was noticing was that at the time herbert was researching and writing this there was a lot of anti-colonial sort of revolutions going on Mm. there were people who were throwing off the sort of shackles of like french colonialism or british colonialism and it's really heavily inspired by by that i think i don't know if you heard that one of the one of the potential sort of things that uh, that was the inspiration for this was t.e lawrence
1: i am aware of t.e lawrence actually so um, Lawrence of Arabia,
0: mm, yeah. So I visited the idea his of this house kind
1: of... once actually.
2: Yeah, um, his, his tiny, house
1: tiny is little house
0: in Wales, right?
1: So the place I visited, I'm sure it's T. Lawrence, is actually the Tank Museum in Dorset. It right. could be one of his houses. I know it's literally three rooms, and it's this very kind of I forget what it's called now, but it's this very National Trust-owned, okay. very kind of so... little retreat away from the
0: world sort of type deal so T. Lawrence was born in Tremadog in Gwynedd in near like Pothmadog's area so we could do an entire podcast about Welsh people and their influence on society and culture as a whole but again that feels like it's another podcast we'll you add know? it to the list Add it to the list. So it's a. It starts off and it looks like it could be like a, another white savior narrative. The Fremen are heavily coded as like Bedouin sort of people, very nomadic, incredibly strong, powerful fighters. And there's that constant reference to like desert power in there, isn't yeah. there? And just different ways of fighting and the rest of it. And obviously, E. Lawrence was able to utilize. People with those that kind of desert power, the yeah. kind of Bedouin sort of tactics, and then obviously they get screwed over by by the British yeah. sort of culture, and like the is it, yeah, they get screwed over after the, the Second World War. Sorry, yeah. after the First, First World, World War, War, yeah, where basically the kind of the countries get, get carved up, yeah, yeah. So when it comes to to jihad, there are references in the backstory of a butlerian jihad. And so in the, this is meant to be like 10,000 years in the future. Yeah. And at some point there was a a revolution, a a long sort of bloody war against like AI, against artificial intelligence. Yeah, so
1: any Warhammer fans, it's actually very similar to what happens in Warhammer, or at least what happens in part of Warhammer lore in which basically AI becomes Mm -hmm. too powerful, too much. So they have a big war. okay. And Dune had a similar thing where yeah the ai basically got too powerful too quickly and yeah. so they once they won they stripped all of it back so although you still have technology and this very kind of sci-fi tech none of it is is ai based
2: mm
0: yeah so it's interesting so what they do is they have people that they train from an early age to think like a computer would think that if yes. you are uh, and they're called mentats and if you are given if they're given the right information, they're able to predict what would happen based on probabilities to a really high degree. And there's a bit in the book where Paul realises that as well as everything else, he's been being trained as a mentat from a very early age. And it's that question, question about whether he wants to take it further or not. So, Paul ends up being perfectly placed to fight off the the harkonnens and obviously the emperor who is using it like a proxy war to take out the the, emperor the the atreides who are becoming too popular and too powerful and this war against them is called is referred to as jihad but actually what struck me as interesting is that whilst much of the language and culture come from islam for me the parallels with jewish eschatology were like way more compelling now We've covered that word eschatology before, but you might not have heard it. Do you know what it means? It,
1: I'm drawing a blank on that one.
0: Eschatology basically means, like, study of end times. Ah, so okay. Study of anything to do with, like, apocalypse, any kind of end time sort of narrative. You with me?
1: Yeah, that sounds fun, in a way. Like, I mean, you know, what's your job? Oh, I studied the end times. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm a <laughs> big. Um, it's so. a lot
0: of... It's a lot of guesswork and just hoping for the best. But do you know anything about, like, the Jewish idea of the Messiah?
1: I'm, I'm not going to lie. The only kind of stuff I know about Messiah is re- comes from life of Brian, really. Right, okay. That's yeah. on sort of my baseline.
0: <laughs> so, like, maybe not the Messiah, but just a very naughty yeah, boy. Yeah, possibly a very
1: thing. naughty boy.
0: Could okay. be the
1: Messiah. More likely. All right. Just badly behaved.
0: So the messiah in judaism they were they're expecting i'll tell you a little bit about that okay so the messiah in judaism is like a savior and liberator figure who is believed to be the future redeemer of the jews and the the, cons the entire concept of messianism originates in judaism and in the hebrew bible is the messiah is a king or high priest of israel and he's traditionally anointed with a holy oil so roughly the idea is it's meant to go like this God redeems the Jewish people from captivity that begun during the, the Babylonian exile basically so I don't know if you know anything about the Babylonian exile but all the Jewish people get taken captive get carted off to, to Babylon and they're in exile for like I want to say 70 years but I could be wrong so God returns the Jewish people to the land of Israel God restores the house of David and the temple in Jerusalem. And then God creates a regent from the house of David. So that's like the Jewish Messiah. Yeah. To lead the Jewish people and the world and usher in an age of justice and peace. All nations recognize that the God of Israel is the one true God. God resurrects the dead and God creates a new heaven and a new earth. Boom, everyone's happy. Mm. So, obviously, I believe that the Jewish Messiah was Jesus, that he's... We know that he, come, he comes from the house of, of David and that he came to save us from our sins and help us find a way back to God. But if you imagine just for a moment that you are a first century, second temple Jew being heavily oppressed by the Romans who suck. Oh, uh, what you know, have Romans great ever be- done for us? Yeah. <laughs> Great at building roads, terrible when it comes to human rights, they are taxing the life out of you and treating you like second-class citizens in your own homeland, then you have like a very specific idea of what the Messiah is going to be like. The Messiah is going to liberate you from these evil oppressors, he's going to punish your enemies and restore everything to how it should be. So... Can you imagine, then, how disappointing, like, actual Jesus must have been for these people?
1: Yeah, he's a carpenter's son that yeah. just rocked up and was like, so God's my dad.
0: So, Paul Atreides is the kind of messiah the Jewish people were expecting, like a strong, wise, competent military leader who would free them from the imperial yoke of the the Romans. And what they get is this carpenter turned traveling teacher who seems to be all about peace and love healing lepers and hanging out with prostitutes (laughs) you know what i mean like he's clearly not what they were expecting do you know what i mean
1: Mm, absolutely almost like there's a party animal element there also he's throwing flipping tables left and right in the the temple which is one of my favorite if not my actual favorite bible story
0: yeah, and that, that's the thing, right? So they're expecting a guy... Like, if you imagine there is one story about flipping tables and there's, like, flipping hundreds of stories about healing the sick and helping the poor and raising the dead and the rest of it. So if you imagine it's, like, 1% flipping tables. Yeah. Ninety-nine percent peace and love. It's like that. Yeah. And these guys are expecting 99% table flipping. Table flipping... On a global scale, and that's not what they're getting. So what I think is really fascinating is that Paul Atreides is like the inverse of Jesus. Mm. He's this strong military leader. And also, there's that line that Ryan pointed out about, the worst thing that can happen to you is to have a Messiah. Yeah. Because because of what it's going to bring to them. Yeah. So he's this kind of... It's fascinating because he's like this manufactured Messiah in the sense that at some point in this future, a woman can choose the sex of a child, and we know Lady Jessica's mother. (laughs)
1: Excuse me. That's such a wild. How does that even?
0: Yeah. Do you do you just think boy thoughts or? (laughs) Yeah. How does does one
1: think boy thoughts or think girl thoughts? Wild.
0: So his mother goes against the Benedessa order and has a son, and from this point onwards, we're starting to see like what's essentially like a self-fulfilling prophecy do you yeah. know what i mean so it doesn't go into it that much in the film but the benedjeser have their own kind of agenda yes. but they think in terms of like centuries not years you know yeah. so they've been pushing slowly bringing things into place where they can get this quizats hadrak who will be this amazing leader who will basically push their own agenda. Yeah. And they have... They're pushing towards this, but they want Jessica to have a daughter. So a daughter from the House of Atreides can be married off to the son of a Harkonnen and that where you could then put those two big houses on the throne and all this sort of stuff. And because... The idea is that Leto Atreides, played by Oscar Isaacs, wanted a son so badly, and Jessica loved Leto so much, she get, she defied their orders and basically gave him a son. Yeah, you know? she
1: thought boy thoughts.
0: Yeah, basically she thought boy thoughts. There's a, a weird thing that they don't really go into, and it's that Jessica is the, is the illegitimate daughter of Baron Harkonnen. Yes,
1: I read this too, so I think... I'm not sure if it's Gaius Helena, who is the, like, I guess, main Bene Gesserit yeah. leader in the film. The uh,
0: Charlotte Rampling in the film.
1: Yes. Who also, yeah. she's bilingual and dubbed her own French dub. Oh, well. Fun fact that I learned while I was researching. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I did read that, that basically she demanded of Baron Harkonnen a, a child. So he is related to Jessica. Hang on, I've, I've got yeah. my family tree mixed up. But yeah, I did read no, that no, also. Were... That, um, yeah, she's an illegitimate Harkonnen child, basically, which is yeah. wild.
0: There's this bit where Paul just says completely out of nowhere, look at our features, look at our noses, can you not see the Harkonnen <laughs> resemblance? Because it's, it's clear that Jessica doesn't even know it as well. And it's just this idea that a few people have been trying to create the the Kwisatz Yeah, A few people have said, let's have a son and let's try and train him in this. And it, With Paul, we're not seeing this wonderful, amazing messiah who's just coming out. We're seeing somebody who has been manipulated. manufactured, yeah. manipulated yeah, into this. And the religion of the Fremen and the people of Arrakis has been seeded by the Bene Gesserit. Their great mothers are basically Bene Gesserit, sort of women coming along and saying, y- You're a, a high priest, a, a messiah will come, he will have these qualities. They're trying to stack the deck in their favor. Yeah, do you know what I mean? Absolutely. Yeah. Paul does see the future and he does see how things will play out, but it's whether that is, it's those skills as a mentat, that ability to yeah. predict things is being enhanced by the spice he's got. Yeah. And this kind of leads me on to my next point about like where. About the use of religion in this. And basically, I think the the story that we keep getting over and over again with this is that religion and politics don't mix.
1: Yeah. It's quite a cynical way to, to look at religion as it's basically a manufactured way to control you.
0: And, like, it's not... How can I put it? I do like to be pragmatic about this because religion has been used as a form of mm. social control for... If I said hundreds of years, I'd be downplaying it. Yeah. I ha- I believe that I have a sincere, real relationship with Jesus, but and I know hundreds of other people who have that, but I'm also conscious that in the past and also to some extent today, there are people who have tried to leverage that and manipulate that into a yeah. form of control. Yeah. Herbert has this brilliant quote where he says, when religion and politics travel in the same car, the riders believe nothing can stand in their way and then he follows it up with saying when politics and religion are intermingled a people is suffused with a sense of invulnerability and gathering speed in their forward charge they fail to see the cliff ahead of them yeah. and it's like I say it's really interesting because this doesn't norm- normally get covered in in hard sci-fi yeah I f- and it might be that it might be that something like star trek was so so hegemonic so influential that the idea that religion gets pushed to the side and we don't deal with it at all yeah and that anybody who believe who believes in religion is just not evolved enough and i love the fact that the idea is in this even ten thousand years into the future religion still exists yeah although he's openly critical of it and he can see how it can be manipulated do you know what i mean yeah there was a Princeton University professor and an author he called Harris Durrani and he said about June that the series is centrally about imperialist manipulation of indigenous resistance. So despite viewers' inclination to view Paul's, to support Paul's path towards vengeance, his pursuit comes at the expense of the Fremen people and their culture.
1: Yeah, absolutely, yeah.
0: It's such a fascinating subject to be dealing yeah. with. In and the, the fact that, and, stuff, and I you know, know,
1: know Ryan mentioned this, that Herbert felt so strongly that the reception to Paul was not what it should be. I think because June Messiah is set something like 12 years into his reign and yeah. like 60 billion people are dead. Like yeah. it, it, the death toll is massive in this kind of tyrannical rule almost that he's in.
0: And it's so weird because when he's in the tent with his mum just after the attack from the Harkonnens, he has visions of like the, the Atreides banner flying high and he describes it almost like a wave of jihad mm. going through the galaxy and like killing off people and how he doesn't want that. He doesn't yeah. want to be that person. And then he just goes down that track and maybe I missed something, but he was like oh, guess I better become this sort of terrible messiah then.
1: Yeah, that does seem a bit weird to me. I mean, if you didn't want it that much, like, you could just hang out in the desert for, like, the rest of your life with Zendaya. Like, it's, it seemed a bit... You know in, in Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory when when he's telling the kids not to, like, eat the stuff and he's like, no don't it's very bad <laughs> do
0: you think maybe it was like a you're not meant to idolize this person yeah like the tyler durden-ness of it all that people Yeah, i don't
1: think he's quite in the same vein as like rick mm-hmm. for example or tyler durden or patrick bateman i don't think i think he understands that what he's doing is not okay to mm. some degree but he i feel that maybe he's just feels that there's no other there's no other choice like i've been brought up to do x y and z foresee that yeah, i'm gonna to do to x y like and he's, z he's kind of trapped. you know yeah. to to try and argue with time yeah
0: i'm listening to the audiobook of, of june messiah now and i'm really looking forward to seeing where the story goes because i think there's talk of a uh, part three the, uh, of them doing a the third Yes, June. I think I did um, read
1: that they were going to try it when Timothy Chalamet was a little bit older. Because uh, I think he's only like 26. He's like my age. I think he was 23 10. when he starred in June. Yeah, 23 going on 13. Mm. What was I doing at 23? <laughs> 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 this guy's off Harvest yeah. and Spice. You don't need to
0: feel bad that you're not leading a, a multi million dollar. Yeah. Franchise. Most of least, us aren't, you know, if that helps. Yeah. Oh, I also learned, you're going to like this, I learned a new word, mm. syncretism. Have you ever heard of that
1: one? Syncretism. It sounds like something I think I've heard of, which is synchronicity, but I think that might be different to what I'm thinking yeah, of. Yeah,
0: slightly different. So syncretism is the amalgamation or attempted amalgamation of different religions, cultures, or schools of thought. Oh, so what's interesting is that there's references to the orange catholic bible in the books so obviously the color orange is like heavily associated with like the protestant kind of order there's like the orange marches in northern ireland so then having orange catholic is quite is a weird mix so there there are just the occasional like line from the bible just thrown into the to the uh, the main book from ecclesiastes and the it's quite interesting the idea of like religions coming together and just merging along the way and broadly speaking i would say i am not really in favor of that but it's funny because if i think of what christianity is now chances are there were probably different sects or different groups of christianity throughout history that had like wildly different beliefs which are now merged into yeah, what I, I see think, as Christianity as a whole.
1: I think it's possibly a, a semi-natural progression because Jesus shows up in the Quran, right? He's a prophet, though, yeah. rather than the son of God. Yeah, yeah. So there is there is some overlap. So I suppose it's plausible that in 10,000 years they get mixed into sort of one homogenous vat, especially in the kind of very imperialistic rule that you've got you need to modify is that the word i'm thinking of homogenize you've got to, yeah homogenize that's the word you've got to basically make mm-hmm. everything standard and one so that you've got that control i think which is more more in in keeping with i think how the Imperium works in june um
2: mm.
0: yeah like i say broadly speaking like on a personal individual level i don't agree with it because it's when people start trying to mix things that don't yeah, really and it can erase sort of
1: certain important elements that make them distinct.
0: Like, I don't think you can really be a Christian and also be a Wiccan at the same time. Do you know what I mean? It just wouldn't...
1: Yeah. Yeah, no, you. I don't think you could be Wiccan and Christian because a Wiccan is in itself its own religion. But I think you could yeah. practice witchcraft and be Christian. There's a big... Which is different with Wicca. How would that work? Catholic folk magic is quite a big sub-genre, I guess, of witchcraft. So. Okay. Wicca and witchcraft are mutually exclusive from one another. You might do witchcraft as part of your wicca practice, but not all witchcraft is wicca, if that makes sense. So things like praying to saints or uh, writing petitions to saints is quite common yeah. in folk magic. But I follow a few creators on Instagram who can follow this vibe. So things like charming pendants, for, for example, so casting spells upon pendants to make them protective, or mm. to ward off so evil eye, for example, which is something that I think comes up in Middle Eastern territory. So the very the evil eye there is that very kind of distinctive blue circle that often gets appropriated into sort of other things. But the really, witchcraft is a series of, of rituals with an intended outcome, and Catholicism especially, because it's a heavily ritualistic subsection of Christianity, very much lends itself to blending with elements of witchcraft. You've got me going about my special interest now, so you're gonna, I'm going <laughs> to talk your ear really off. But if we talk historically, think peak witch hunt kind of period, you would... Have a wise woman who would do these things for you, make remedies, witch bottles, which are protective charms. Basically, they're bottles filled with personal matters, things like fingernails, hair clippings, sometimes urine, and that protects you against witches. Mm. That on its own is basically a form of witchcraft, but it's done under a Christian lens and therefore is okay to, oh, wow. to some degree. I might be pronouncing this wrong. Apopatraic markings are another one where you basically carve symbols into the beams of your house, which mm. ward evil away, much the same that maybe you would hang a crucifix as a kind of way to... How do I... Yeah, yeah?
0: no, to ward off evil spirits. Yeah. Definitely. Do you know what? That's fascinating. I think we're going to have to do an, a whole episode on this in future at some point because this is... Like, like the idea for me, the idea of mixing Christianity and witchcraft just makes my skin crawl. Yeah, but I... the, what you're saying, the, the the parallels you you're making there with Catholicism is really interesting. We've got to put a pin in this yeah, because otherwise, we'll this that. episode is going to be like four hours long. Oh yeah. So that wraps up our finding the faith in the film. Now, before we get to the reviews, there's something I wanted to address, and it's basically where has Phil gone because. For the hardcore fans of this podcast, that's both of you, you might have noticed that we are missing a short Northerner from our episodes. I've not mentioned it until now, but I thought I'd bet it in case people start to get the wrong impression. Phil told me last year that he needed to take a step from podcasting due to his tight schedule. And with a family to look after, a full-time job and a small business to run, I could totally, totally empathise. Now, I absolutely love Phil, he is like my little brother, and he is welcome back on this show whenever he wants to, but until then, I think we can all agree that Julia is doing a pretty amazing job, and I am more than happy for her to keep his seat warm.
1: I'm trying, if it does help, I, was, I am northern, I was born in the north. I know it's not quite the same, but I try.
0: So if you want to catch up with what Phil's doing, you can find him on Insta at North Shortman. And if you want to buy one of his many hot sauces, you can find them for sale at www.thecolmen.co.uk. I cannot recommend the buffalo sauce enough. Now we have I say reviews. How can I put this? I only just discovered that Spotify lets you do reviews, because it, it just it just popped up that for one and the others I'd completely missed until now. So it lets you do like reviews for individual episodes oh cute so for our episode on the first film ever Gemma Gotting said so funny the special guest was a particular high thank you very much for that one and There was an episode on the oppenheimer one we did and it literally just says hello miss minica i listened to this and it was interesting we all shouted your name when we heard you from me and freya and the others so in the reviews i can't even get a shout out myself it's literally just nat and her students trying to talk to her through reviews this show it's like oh okay
1: yeah god forbid forbid should any of the students at my school figure out that i do this Lord, they'll know my <laughs> name for a start and then, oh, and then they'll get way too big for their boots
0: Quite right, yeah Okay, ladies and gentlemen, if you have been thank you so much for listening I hope you join us next week for our episode on the eyes of Tammy Faye Julia, have you had a good time?
1: I've had a wonderful time as always
0: Yeah, it's been pretty great Have a great week We'll see you next week Bye!
1: Bye. God in Film is hosted and created by Giles Goff That's me. Mixing and editing by Giles. Our logo was designed by Julie Walsh. And our theme tune was composed by Rick Lee. Heresy editing by
2: Nick Matthews.
1: Please rate and review, unless it's a one star. In which case, send us a coded message in a greetings card with a little gift voucher. Voice your displeasure by writing in it, congratulations on the birth of your 10 pound, three ounce baby. Claire, you are an absolute hero. I promise you we'll get the hidden meaning.